0: Greetings, everybody. Peter Mariveles here. On behalf of City Lights Booksellers and Publishers and the City Lights Foundation, I'd like to welcome you to City Lights Live, our virtual reading series that complements our in store calendar. We continue to feature the works of authors we know and love through readings, discussions, and forums moving into the winter season. As we wind down our 2022 calendar, I'd like to let you know that we'll be taking a little break from events between the middle of December through the middle of January. We encourage you to keep an eye on our calendar for announcements of our 2023 events. They are being posted as we speak. As always, we are beaming to you from the unseated ancestral grounds of the Ramatishaloni peoples, also known as the San Francisco Bay Area. We'd like to take this moment to acknowledge those who have come before us as stewards of the land and an offering of respect. Tonight on City Lights Live, we're delighted to have back in the house New York Times bestselling author Sam Lipsight celebrating the publication of his new novel titled No One Left to Come Looking for You. It's published by Simon & Schuster. We've been huge fans of Sam Lipsight's work over the years. We have some very fond memories of a very groovy event we hosted over at the Tosca Cafe. Uh, That was a kind of a night of serious drinking uh, Mr. Lipsight is the author of the short story collections Venus Drive and The Fun Parts, also four novels, which include Hark, The Ask, which is a New York Times notable book, The Subject Steve, and Homeland, which was a New York Times notable book and received the Believer Book Award. His fiction has appeared in The New Yorker, The Paris Review, The Best American Short Stories, amongst other imprinted medium. He teaches at the University of Columbia or Columbia University and makes his home in New York City. He's gonna be joined tonight in conversation by the wonderful Sloan Crossley. Sloan Crossley is the author of the New York Times bestselling essay collection, I Was Told There Would Be Cake, and How Did You Get This Number, as well as Look Alive Out There. She's also the author of the bestselling novel, The Clasp. She's served as editor of the best American travel writing series and is featured in the Library of the Americas 50 Funniest American Writers. She's a contributing editor of Vanity Fair her new novel, Cult Classic, is out now, and her next nonfiction book, Grief is for People, will be published in 2024. Before we begin, I'd like to let you know we're going to be posting links in the chat function of Resume dashboard, with uh, which you may purchase copies of No One Left to Come Looking for You, as well as other titles by Sam and Sloan Crossley. I'll uh, we'll also be hosting a Q&A towards the end of the evening, so please do post your questions, your comments, your praise in that same chat function. So please join us now in offering a warm welcome to Sam Lipsight and Sloan Crossley. Welcome back to City Lights. A delight to have you both with us again. Thank Thank you.
1: you.
2: It's a lovely introduction. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well, I don't know if it's just as I can see everybody. I don't know if that's correct or if I can just there's a way to just see Sam. But um, hi, everyone. (laughs) I
1: I see uh, bunch of people too, but that's nice.
2: Yeah, it is nice. It is nice. I mean, some of you are showing your faces. Some of you are still getting adjusted to the atmosphere. Um, so uh, it is a delight to speak with you tonight, Sam. Um, and uh, before either of us do any uh, impromptu speaking, uh, I was going to ask you to read for a bit from, I can even do this. this oh, book. wonderful. Thank you for Look holding that. Me. There it, is. Yeah, this it um,
1: is. Would you mind? Thanks, Joan, and thanks again for for speaking with me tonight. I'm really delighted to, to see you and, and talk to you. And I'll just start by reading a little bit from the first two chapters. Um, I might skip a little bit, but uh, just to give a sense of the book. And uh, But I won't do it. I guess I'll begin at the beginning, so we don't need any real setup. Chapter one. The day after I decide I'm jack shit, the banished Earl steals my Fender jazz bass. Dill Becker at Kingsnake Guitars wakes me with a phone call before I even know it's gone. Jonathan, he says, I'm Jack now. I stir sugar into a cold mug of yesterday's Bustello, stare out my smeared kitchen window at the brick facade across the air shaft. Jonathan, Dill says, the Earl was just in here with your bass. I could tell it was yours from that little annihilation of the soft left sticker on the headstock. Hey, I thought you weren't friends with those guys anymore. I'm not, but it's a pain to scrape that thing off. Did you buy the base from him? He didn't have the papers, Dill says. Even if I hadn't known it was yours, I wouldn't have bought it. You've got to have the papers. He left with it? Yeah. Fuck. What's wrong, Dill says. He'll just trade it for a measly bag of dope. Hey, Dill says, it might not be measly, but yeah, I'm sorry. While I hold the phone to my ear, I scan the rock rook for any other missing objects. Seems like all the other stuff, not much, admittedly, besides some milk crates full of records and books, ashtrays full of the Earl's ash, empty 40 bottles, a few chipped dishes is still here. I've shared this one-bedroom on Avenue B with the banished Earl for about nine months, though it wasn't always a one-bedroom. It used to be a studio. We threw up a high wedge of plywood to make a little sarcophagus for the Earl. I sleep on a foam mat near the door. Hey, Jonathan, I told you I'm Jack now. As in Jack shit? Exactly, I say. What made you change it? I just like how it sounds. Cool. Okay, later, Dill wait what i heard you guys are looking for a new drummer preferably a girl drummer i say i can be a girl drummer no dill you don't hit hard enough i hit hard not in time i'm better jonna i mean jack i've been practicing all month no It's touching how much Dill dreams of joining the band, but some were meant to lead, others to follow, and still others to hang around, friendly mascots. Well, how about a second guitar player, Dill says. Think about it. A fucking sonic curtain, right? And no offense, but I've got better chops than you or Cutwolf. That's true, I say, but the very fact you said chops disqualifies you. What does that mean? Think about it, I say. No offense. I've got to find the Earl. In our world, you may not say chops or ax or jam. You may say guitar, fish, tubs, bitch out, beat bag, bag fever. Every subgroup has its own linguistic code. We're not even a subgroup. We're just the shits, a fast disintegrating band. "'We used to have solidarity. "'We used to have esprit de corps. "'We used to have, according to Sour Mash magazine, "'a scabrous, intermittently witty, post-skronk propulsion, "'not unlike early anal gnosis.' "'But then bag fever set in. "'The banished earl is the worst. "'The abscess in his arm is a black, ragged wormhole. "'You could swan dive into it, time travel, "'get shot out into the future, the year 2000 perhaps, "'or a few hundred years in the past.' Picture old France, picture beauty-marked men prowling, prancing in tights, in wigs. Their skinny swords serrate the air. It's sort of like some of the bars we play. It's sort of like us some nights. The shits do like to dress up. The shits are a writhing, shimmering society of the spectacle. The shits are fierce and noisy and wounded and sad. The shits fear not art, but you may not say art but you may certainly say that the new year, at least so far, slurps the sandpapery drippy dong of a chlamydia-ridden rhino. I'm happy to say it along with you, or even compose a melody if you think there's a song there, though such retrograde faux transgressive vulgarity is not quite our style, even if we are called the shits. Point is, it's only January and I'm almost broke. My girlfriend Vesna has ditched me for good and perhaps most catastrophically, my J bass is gone. Point is, I must locate the banished Earl before he surrenders my fish for a measly, probably half beat bag of tango and cash, which, if word in the bars can be trusted, is the most undiluted dope east of Ludlow Street. Point is, I need my base and we need the Earl. If the shits are not utterly atomized, we have a show at our Toes Garage a week from this Saturday. We are guaranteed 13% of the door. If 25 people come at five bucks a pop, that's, well, you do the theorem. I don my thermals and various sweaters and shirts. My mother taught me the laws of layering early in life and step out into the frozen bleak scape. My city is a tundra. The wind whips in off the river like the river is one of those cool dominatrix chicks just doing it to finance her complete degree. And the wind is for instance, a whip. Cutwolf's sister, Drusilla, was a dom for a time until she dropped out of the pain game to become a serious cake maker. That's not even a euphemism. She's on the American fondant team, flies to Antwerp for major competitions. I've never been to Europe. I've never been out of the country unless you count Canada, which I don't. But a dude in Barcelona has been playing our second seven inch, the shits for real on his indie radio show. He sent us a very complimentary postcard. That could lead to something. A few dates in the Gothic quarter, a European tour. A person can dream, but not without his instrument. No bass, no band. I hold down the bottom. I also write the songs. I am not exactly music, but I do write the songs, or at least the tunes to a lot of them, along with Cutwolf and Hera. The banished Earl is our front man, our lyricist and lead screamer. His brief includes, but is not restricted to, howls, whimpers, banshee shrieks, declamations, provocations, half-clever quips, semi-ironic rooster struts, blind dives into the mosh pit, simulated or else revocable genital self-mutilation, and, of course, spectacle. Spectacle above all else. Though now that the banished Earl is the banished Earl, all bets are off until I find him. But first sustenance the pizza joint on avenue a boasts a permanent special two slices and a soda for a dollar fifty most days that's a decent portion of my life savings now i stand at one of the tall circular formica tables shake out some oregano on my oven blistered slabs new york pizza is the best pizza so let's not have that conversation but i'm not one of those process fascists when it comes to your eating technique Fold the fucker, eat it flat, cut it into baby bites with a plastic knife, run it on frappe in a blender at home and chug. It's a free country, at least when it comes to stuff that doesn't matter. Now I'm going to skip ahead a little bit. His search continues. This is the beginning of chapter two. Jonathan, it's Jack now. Since when? Since this morning. The Earl's ex, Hera Bernberger, stands in the doorway of her her apartment on 3rd Street near the Bowery. She's not only the Earl's ex, she's our ex too, ex-drummer. Yes, the departures were related. The sloppiness of the Earl's drug habit drove her away from him, and the sloppiness of our chord changes drove her away from us. Now she plays in a self-regarding minimalist duo with a dildo named Wallach. He's a conservatory graduate, one of those smug skill bullies, a music reader. I follow Hera into her apartment. I haven't been inside it in a while, but it looks the same as when the shits used to muster here. The warm lamplight filtered through amber and magenta shades, the imitation leopard skin pillows on the divan, the glass bones she blew years ago at art camp on the walls, the throne-like chairs carved from teak, shipped up from her late grandmother's house in Key Biscayne. We each now perch on one of these great wooden seats. Hera lights a menthol cigarette, takes a ponderous drag, the kind that asks, shall I now train my powerful and pitiless intellect on the problem of you? So, why Jack? Why what, why Jack? I don't know, why Hera? Because my stupid hippie mother named me that. Is Hera hippie, I say? It's not moonbeam, but it's pretentious, educated hippie, sure. So answer me, why Jack? Because, like, Jack shit. Okay, you get it, I say. I get it, but Jack shit is a cliche. That's why it's interesting, I say. Because it's stupid? I'm deconstructing it, I say. Are you? I think so. But I always thought Jonathan shit had a certain elegance. Plus, your name is actually Jonathan. I won't be a victim of happenstance, I say, and I won't be a victim of you just showing up whenever and annoying me. I'm not sitting around with my thumb up my bum. I'm embarked on an aesthetic journey here. I stand, and it occurs to me I might not be in this apartment again for a long time, if ever. I'll miss it, or maybe I'm just already missing those days when the shits hung around here, lolled on the floor, dreamed of dark, impending relevance. What happened to us, I say? Us? The band. You don't know, Harris says. I'm not sure. You were always a naive one. Really, I say, but I'm the only one who's read Baudrillard. The shits are the past, Harris says. I have new outlets for my talent now. Thorazine takes up a lot of my spare time. All you have is spare time, I say. Thorazine, that's what Wallach and I are calling our new project. Jesus, I say it's a different thing, Jonathan, a different avenue of expression. Jack. Fine, Hera says. I wish you the best, Jack. Hera smiles that winning smile, the one full of wry kindness, which along with her small trust fund, used to be our band's main bonding agent. Maybe Hera is right to move on. Bands, lovers, come, go. How long were the Beatles actually together? Or the original murder junkies? I was in the annihilation of the soft left for over a year and a half before I started the shits with Cutwolf and the Earl, though I was not a founding member of TAOTSL by any means. They were one of the most ancient bands on the scene. Bitter elder statesmen and occasionally stateswomen who'd paid their dues back in the grimy agon of the nine of the eighties when squatter blood dripped off cop batons in Tompkins Square Park and the crooked political pimps of the broken city sold New York's ass block by block to the fat fuck real estate barons, or at least that's how the bands songs explained it. The annihilation of the soft left had been through about 17 players. The last original member was the seared crust of a dude with the nom de rock Toad Molotov. Some considered it a rite of passage to play in Toad's version of the band, to study at his combat boots, as it were, listen to his harangues about, you guessed it, the soft left, or pretty much any political tendency that failed to snuggle up to his vague, often contradictory, but severely enforced ideology once characterized by Hera as a narco-bewildered. To watch Toad munch a revolting quantity of his beloved mint jelly sandwiches, swill Cuervo gold, and scratch unrelentingly beneath his fatigue shorts at his hairy legs and crotch was to come of age in the rock underworld. I apprenticed myself to Toad and learned the classic numbers, fire in Reagan's urethra, dishonorable discharge. Mommy got screwed by the system and knocked up with me. Annihilate the soft left, which Toad always reminded us was the band's mission statement, and so could be forgiven its melodic shortcomings. The songs were rousing in the briefest bursts and not very complicated. They were also remarkably similar. Toad said he'd written most of them in a single morning 11 years earlier after ingesting something he referred to with cryptic reverence as a meth burrito. Truth is, despite our roots in the annihilation of the soft left, the shits are pretty soft ourselves. We are not from the streets. We are each of us semi-misfits from one middle-class suburb or another, except for Hera, who hails from serious money. The rest of us are usually broke, but there are family basements with fold-out couches flung across the American empire. New Jersey for me, Long Island for the Earl, Ohio for Cutwolf, for us to flee to in case of utter collapse. These are the couches of last resort. The shits are pretty left-wing, I guess, but our irony smothers our politics. I know this makes the older types crazy. It even made Toad crazy. People think we have no beliefs. Trust me, we do. They're just tiny, fuzzy, fragile things like fresh-born chicks. We do all we can to protect them, to feed them plump, life-sustaining kitsch worms and keep these greedy killers, the fucking baby boomers, at bay. Besides, what exactly are their beliefs? Dancing to the worst Fleetwood Mac song while balloons flutter from the rafters? I once wrote a song for Toad about a certain strain of former flower person. It was called Deadhead Fuck, and it went like this Deadhead Hippie Fuck, living on the corporate suck, out of time, out of luck, deadhead Hippie Fuck. Toad vetoed the tune, said it was too obvious. This from the man who wrote Intercontinental Ballistic Butt Plug in Casper Weinberger's Butt. Still, he had a point. Protest songs are not my strong suit. I may not have a strong suit but I do possess a willingness to flash freeze my testicles on this desperate quest to reclaim my fender and save the shits from oblivion. That should count for something. I lean on Toad's buzzer, but there is no answer. It's too cold to linger. I head across the street to the Pink's Diner, order a coffee, scratch out a potential set list for next week's show on a napkin. The man went out. Spores. Invention of the shipwreck. Orbit city come down. Bag fever ain't gonna break. Orange Julius Rosenberg. Hey, you're in that band. I look up at the woman on the stool beside me. She's about my age, wears a crinkly polyester nurse's uniform, her greasy hair pinned back with plastic barrettes. Her wide face and insect green eyes look familiar. Who wants to know, I say, me. And who are you supposed to be, a nurse? If you're a lumberjack, she says, points to the thermal sleeve that pokes past the cuff of my work
0: shirt. It's called layering, I say. Thank you. That was excellent. <laughs> excellent.
2: <laughs> um, uh, oh, gosh, I guess because it's Zoom, I'm still not used to the uh, applause that would be here. So. Uh, just to
1: applaud myself.
2: Applaud yourself. Someone has. Someone's got to do it in these tough times. Um, so, uh, as I was uh, telling you before we uh, hopped on, um, I slightly overprepared. So I'm not gonna actually ask you your blood type. it looks I, like a
1: test that I have to take.
2: You, it is, actually. So it, it, it's it's uh, there's truth in advertising. It looks exactly like that because it's what it is. Um, but I wanted to talk before we got um, into the book, um, for those who don't know um, your background, um, you were in a band called Dung Beetle, where you were the uh, lead screamer of that particular outfit. And I know you've done interviews about it before. Um, and I guess uh, the first question is sort of a broad one, and you might not even have an answer to it, which is you know, most people, if they have that kind of wealth of material and experience, um, it would have come in an earlier novel. And I know it's come up in, in little pieces, but like yeah. why this book now, I suppose.
1: That's interesting. I mean, I I did. I've written about it glancingly or obliquely in the past. Yeah. but I've never really taken it on. And it's funny. I was just thinking I remembered, you know. Talking to my father back when I was in that band and he said, uh, And he knew that I was interested in writing also, and uh, he wasn't that impressed with the band, I need to say. But, uh, you know, he was deeply unimpressed with the band, but he did say, well, maybe you'll write about it someday. So (laughs) It's
2: like, if you have a writer, it's like, you're like a joint (laughs) philosophy and and writing major, you're like, well, what's the lesser, what's the worst?
0: (laughs) Yeah, exactly.
1: (laughs) So, but I didn't for a long time, in a, in a real way, uh, but I guess something about the moment I started this in like 2019, and I'm I don't know if I, I saw parallels between then and and back in the early 90s, but something about uh, the the place I was in, I guess, as as a writer as a person, made me start thinking back to that time with a you know a kind of clarity and a sense of humor and a horror all in the right proportion to make me maybe want to take it on
2: yeah when you talk about the sense of humor and that you know uh it's considered in some circles a novelty act which of course the band the shits bristles against yeah um i have it on a slightly good authority um from your wife
1: (laughs) (laughs) she's a good authority she was there
2: (laughs) (laughs) it's presented um you know as it should be and as it comes naturally to you in the book as this sort of uh this satire, um, this sort of very classic um, for, you, for you, this sort of lip kind of uh, anti-hero, like uh, sort of on the fringes of society. And we sort of mock him for his beliefs and his, you know, Neo fill in the blank. Um, but she says you took it quite seriously at the time, that all the stuff about like, don't say this word, don't break the fourth wall. Like you should know not to, you know, you don't jam like all that stuff. That you are deadly serious about it. I
1: was it. deadly serious about that. And I, I think that the what the one of the things that this book is about is how wonderful it is when young people are deadly serious about these yeah. things. And these like these things that seem like, you know, the tyranny of small differences, you know, really, maybe with in hindsight at the time really matter because in a way you're kind of both, you know, distinguishing yourself and defining yourself and trying to figure out who you are. And these are the these are the ways you do it. And, you know. It was also a way to sort of, you know, to believe in something other than the kind of triumphal garbage that was kind of flowing through the the mainstream at the time. So um, it was a, it you know, and I think that's kind of the history of all you know, punk or counter in general. And and yeah, I mean, I think I was, I'm not, you know, now it seems amusing that these these small, you know, distinctions seem so crucial, but they, but I also believe they are and for people at a certain stage in their development and were for me. And it's, you know, so it's both funny, but I also, you know, I kind of honor it too.
2: Right. Right. Well, it becomes the language, not not just your language, but the language of the novel Because if there's a break in that the irony is like, there's an extra, extra fourth wall, you know, if you break it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) There are a a couple of fourth walls that collapse in the the course of the novel. There
2: are, there are. Well, one of the ones I, uh, something that I was very interesting to me. So I, um, you know, I moved to the city in 2000 and, uh, you know, when like there was Avenue B and like Avenue, like I dated someone like on like D and ninth and it was just like flies, like literal, just, just, can you say shit on this? I don't know. Like shit's flies, And I just feel like one of the things is, um, I thought, God, this is so interesting because that era as all, you know, bygone eras that are now a good 30 years away um, they get portrayed with so much nostalgia and you can really feel I don't know if it's purple prose or whatever the writer equivalent of the director's thumbprint is not in your work and a lot of other people's work and somehow it's absent from this book and I guess I wondered did you feel consciously that you were writing a New York City novel or you know the uh, cliche love letter to New York City did you feel that because you did a really good job of covering it up
1: so it's Yeah, not- no, I, I kind of av- I tried to, I mean, that came, that was a description that maybe other people put on it later, but that's not okay. I didn't sit down like, oh, today I'll work on chapter three of my love letter, my Valentine. <laughs>
2: <New York> <laughs> Speaking of was- which, what is bodega speed? <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's very bad.
0: <laughs> okay. okay, okay. Um
1: uh yeah, it's not quality. Uh but the uh I was really just trying to, what and what was fun about the book was just trying to remember how I saw the world and felt the world, in New, and it was New York City, in New York City at that time. I changed things, like I make up some places and then some places I don't, and so I kind of was able to create carve out a little bit of my own imaginary space within the memory of New York, and that's what allowed me to work. And um, yeah. so, like, you know, there was no Pink's Diner. There was Odessa, you know, there were... Some of the clubs that are named are 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 real clubs, but the one they play isn't and so it was just sort of trying to like kind of create my own little imaginary New York, as I said within the mem within all of these memories that and and to just really try to kind of inhabit that mindset that I had then, but also at the same time have distance on it so I could see what was ridiculous about it,
2: yeah, and you can see it took me actually a little while to catch up to that because the the nature of it, you do mention, I mean Tompkins Square Park, non-negotiable, Gem Spa, yeah. non-negotiable.
0: Yes. Right.
2: But you do see, but and and so therefore I, I think the nature of the book is sort of imitative in that I'm like, well, should I have heard of these things? Like I feel like <laughs> I want to be part of the band. Like, do you right. know what I
1: mean? The like, well, man, like, how come I this. never heard of? Yeah.
2: <laughs> and then after a while, I'm like, no, I know my stuff. This is not <laughs> yeah. this is not this is made of walk off. Um, but it is, you know, the this um character. Every time he steps outside, he gets pelted by like cold. It's a very cold novel, yeah. Um, which helped I find, or I found, give it some of its sort of uh, noirish inherent vice. Very Hannah yi I'm going to keep on saying words until you stop me from saying them. Like, did, I, like
1: the, I like them all. You can you, you like know. those words? <laughs> did,
2: yeah. Do you did you feel that in terms of? Um, I guess not influence, because it's such a um, the sort of verbal pyrotechnics are uh, sort of patented to you. But like that, that clip of it, of the sort of somewhat hapless um, outsider who's been thrust into solving a mystery felt um, like I that felt like part of a tradition.
1: Yeah, I think I mean, I think I was I felt I was tapping to that tradition, tapping into that tradition while trying to bring my own, you know, feel and language to it. Um, yeah and uh and also that the, I, I was very i have just very specific memories of being very cold especially during that january and so and i the novel takes place over most of the novel takes place over you know a little less than a week right. in january and um and there's something about my memories of the of that of new york city or specifically the east village or the lower east side that being very cold and so you know just the Christmas lights in a little bar window are just the most inviting thing. Or you know, mm. in a in a coffee, sh- you know, the the steam in a coffee shop or something. When you're f- outside, very cold, and I just wanted to kind of capture that feeling too. He's kind of moving through the the maze of the neighborhood, trying to find his base and his front man. But at the same time, he's you know always cold, and he's there's danger is lurking. But he's right. seeing these little oases of of you know warmth and light as he goes. And that was definitely almost a, it was kind of a cinematic feeling in my, you know, that I had going while I was writing.
2: Um, Did you, so it's also interesting because there's so much, I think this is more um, sort of, it's, I mean, obviously character focused, but also plot focused uh, that it's sort of, um, I wonder if it was ever a challenge to some of the, some of the best sort of monologues are sort of seated to other characters, which is, something that to my mind is different from reading your, your past work. Um, and I feel like I'm like, wow, that's, even though it's still all of you, I'm like, that's very generous of him. He <laughs> <Yeah, right. laughs> just, just gave, because I know that like, it, it's just that I feel like specifically, I guess this is more of a technical question and hard for people who have not yet read the book, but there's a bit that happens to be really, I, I looked at it uh, physically, it's like in the center of the book, where Jack shit goes home to New Jersey and uh, is confronted with his aunt's boyfriend who seems to have be sort of an amalgamation of some familiar characters, but he goes on this incredible tirade about like where the world is going um, and almost predicts some of our, our uh, worst uh, bad actors of today. And I felt like, this is very specific, and I know there are a bunch of people listening. But he like, also thinks
1: that Blockbuster will still be around. I think that he thinks that
2: Blockbuster. <laughs> well, of course, there's got to be a limit, right? He can't right, be like yeah. a weird sage who comes down and he's like, "Do you know what Twitter is? Do you know?" I mean, he's got, there's there's some sort of a limit exactly. uh, to his crystal ball. But I guess what I'm wondering is, like, did you have a consciousness that that was in the middle? How did you yeah. feel when you wrote it? You're like, I want this to be weird. I, it was a very,
1: it was a, it was, a, I felt it as a, you know, as a structural gesture to sort of, you know, we've been tight in this little world for, you know, yes. half the book. And like, it was time for that interlude, you know, that maybe you've seen in noir movies where like, you know, they go out to the country for a minute and then they come back to the city right. or something. There, 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 needed to be a little break. Um, and a little, and a, just a different feel. Uh, uh, and, 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 that that writer yeah i mean he's not one person he's a, he's a mixture of, of various people but it, the it's a post a well-known postmodern writer happens to be at dinner at jack's house because his aunt is dating him and then that gives us a a chance to hear this everyone's like don delillo i'm like yeah there's I didn't there, was don
0: delillo <laughs>
1: <Okay>. <laughs> um, <laughs> there's but to your first po- earlier point um yeah. It occurred to me when I started. you know, it was well. A front man can't narrate a novel. Like it has to be the guy who's standing behind. It's the bass player or somebody who's like, and probably not the drummer because he's too active. You know, it's who's the who's the noticer in a band? You know, because that's who you want.
2: Notoriously, the moodiest is the bass player.
1: But he's also like, the noticer. He's he's the one who's standing back and sees everything, and that's who I wanted my narrator to be. And so I don't I didn't want him to be making bigs. He's speaking to us all the time,
0: he's right, speaking okay. to
1: the reader all the time and telling the reader everything and trying to frame everything for the reader. And in a way, bass players are also notoriously control freaks, often. And they they're like they're the ones who like book all the stuff for the band and make you know make things happen in some ways. But so I you know I saw him as as and he's not quite that, but I saw him as the guy who's trying to frame the story for us but in the world in the world of the book he's not talking that much you know right he's he's trying to gain some information and he's letting other people spout off
2: well yeah so he's not the 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 lead pontificator of the of the the book but actually the other two the other ones i have to say and i feel like um i'm not just contractually obliged to to do this it would be amazing if I was but you do okay. write these two female characters that are in it that I was so happy you mentioned both of them um Hera and I'm literally I just spontaneously something that corks Karina Karina yeah. I, you know you never say it out loud and then you do yeah um I just felt like I, I felt them so strongly and like a new that seemed like a, a sort of development um in this book that 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 was sort of like relatively new. Not that you've written them poorly before, but just I was like I really adored them and wanted uh sequels for both of yeah, well maybe
1: maybe they'll get their own uh <laughs>
2: they'll get their own
1: their own um, mysteries.
2: Their own mysteries, <laughs> I know exactly. Um, but so I also wanted to talk about um how you uh you have this sort of like uh you know yeah chronically underemployed sort of anti-establishment um, or employed within a under loved establishment <laughs> uh characters um and uh were there pieces? obviously it's from you, but did you feel uh do you feel like there are pieces of your other sort of narrators from homeland or the ask or any of that in in here too?
1: yeah, I mean, there's always kind of a lot of there's always overlap, I think, and there's actually there are there is a character who is from other books that appears in this book briefly. And that's uh Gary. Yeah. Who the one <laughs> the one thumbed hero of many yeah. of a few of my shorts early short stories, who also right. is in the is features prominently in the novel Homeland. And um it turns out that and this actually is the is noted in an early story that or not a story from the my 2013 collection, the fun parts. I think Mm -hmm. um, a story called the worm in Philly that Gary is in a band called the annihilation of the soft left. Um, And so in this book, it turns out he was one of those like 17 people that cycled through the band at a certain point. And our hero, uh, Jack shit meets up with him at a bar and says, Oh, I've heard about you. You were in the band that I was in at a different time. And they, they have a moment. I Listen. guess I'm spoiling my book here, but you know.
2: No, no, no. That you and like uh, it's a, a comp that you probably don't normally get, but this is a the, the sort of passerby of a character that you know, as if it's almost as if pulled forth on a skateboard, yeah. <laughs> waving. Is uh, Brandy does this quite a bit. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean a lot of. I mean, a lot of people do it. Yeah. Faulkner did it. You Wagner know. did it. Yeah. I'm like, you're like, it's a little bit older than Brett. Yeah. Um but, but so I guess this is actually also a question that either will lead nowhere or be everything, at least in the times I've asked author friends this. I want to know, um, was anything major edited out? Not just throughout the book, but as you were plotting it, like, was there anything? Because I know you're not like in love with plot and you've stated as such, but like, has there is there anything where you're like, wow, there's a missing. 30 pages, or I was very indulgent with, like, the band names are so fun, the proper nouns. I can't imagine what the copy editing sheet looked like for this book. <laughs> it's amazing. So, like, was there anything that you had to sort of pull back on?
1: Uh, no, not really. I mean, yeah, I, I wrote the book in a different way than I've written a lot of my stuff, I because I actually I wrote it more like I wrote a lot of my early stuff. I wrote it in the whole thing in, in longhand first. And, um, wow. and that kind of kept it very, I like it was in this notebook and I was just, you know, there's not, you can't do that much you can't You're not doing a lot of cutting and pasting and moving stuff around in that first draft In later drafts, of course, but like that first draft, you're, you're just kind of trying to chisel it in a way into, into the, into this notebook. And so, you know, I would make decisions and then a lot of them really stuck. Uh, there was a, it was actually the the biggest cut was a I want I had a whole page. There's a a running uh, thread about uh, a book called Dangerous Dances, which is a biography of Hall and Oates yeah. by by the famous uh, rock critic Nick Tosches. And um, they have a copy of the book. A lot of people don't believe it exists. They think I made it up, but I didn't. It's a real book. And I had a very lo- long long passage from it in the book and like and then for both you know aesthetic and legal reasons it was decided like I didn't need that much of it (laughs) uh just to prove how
2: much cooler uh you are than I am I my first novel I did have a few lines um that I had to get permission on. That's another thing. I always thought that would be a great, like tiny little sort of New York magazine, front of the book article about like all the stuff that writers have paid for, for, yeah. for musicians. Um, but mine I'm, I'm, would be so embarrassing. And I'm going to tell you now is from Pulp. It was Common People. Oh yeah. No, it's not really worth the squeeze.
1: <laughs> like, uh, it's probably not worth the, worth. Not worth that we don't love Jarvis <laughs> Crocker, but like,
2: but um, so I, uh yeah, so one of the other things I was going to ask you about is that, um there's something I think a little bit about this novel, um, and then I guess that pretty soon we have to turn it over for other people to to talk and ask their questions too. Um, but uh, that it becomes political. Um, and you know when you say you wrote it longhand, I of course have this like overly uh, sentimental interpretation that you did it because it was of the time as if you were setting, you know, an 18th century book, you know, writing with a full pen. I know it doesn't right. exactly, it's not that imitative, <laughs> but I I feel like um, it becomes sort of a indictment of uh, New York City real estate and uh, what happens. And it's just like, does an amazing job of you have this story, which uh, is essentially, I think we, I, you, both of us might have skipped over the fact that basically this character wakes up, his guitar is missing. I mean, we got a little bit in the reading, um, and then that is just one of these sort of um, adventures or mysteries he has to solve—is where his fender is. Um, but it does this very subtle job of um, touching this tiny little corner of this tiny little island in this tiny little time frame, and eventually, with the book, the whole board lights up in terms of Donald Trump, America—you know, the 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 sort of. Um, kind of gradual crumbling of um democratic values and the middle class and everything we hold dear, but in a funny way. <laughs> <laughs> like hilarious. <laughs> um, and I guess was that always um part of your intent or it just came that way naturally with the landlord stuff and the real estate? I,
1: you know, I you know, that's a hard one to answer because um I not, too much. Of. I try not to forecast too much when I'm when I start. And so I think like at the end of it, I was like, "Well, obviously that was going to be the story because that's every all those dots connect, and you can't tell the story without that all those dots connecting. Like those are the layers that you obviously would have to peel off." And I'm, I always feel like an intelligent person would know that going in, but I have to like <laughs> figure it out by writing the first draft and I'm, and making all of these, you know, having all these eureka moments and this this discovery that you know, like I said, you know, somebody with a little more analytical skill would be, would know that they were getting to that, but. But, you know, that makes it fun for me. It's always exciting. yeah.
2: And if you can bolster it, right? So you, it's like this, this giant thing that maybe someone else would have to plan out as a byproduct of these finely drawn characters. Right. You know, the same reason why you can say Gem Spa and then also just, just make up very believable nonsense <laughs> right. in terms of the names of some of these places and the bands.
1: Um, yeah, I, no, I mean, I like to like, that's exactly, it. I like to keep it, stay small in the beginning and not yeah. try to, you know, imagine everything that's going to be coming down the pike and just really try to move from sentence to sentence and situation to situation. And, and it kept opening it up, it kept opening up and opening up. And that's how I got to where I got to.
2: Well, that's actually kind of unbelievable because I feel like I try to do the same thing because I get uh, paralyzed by the reverse kind of vision um that everything everywhere all at once one
0: yeah
2: um but sometimes that can lead uh to well a you know something that doesn't pick up speed right away or something indulgent where you know that you can lead to that can cause a 40 page description of an oak tree because yeah. you don't necessarily know where you're going and yet this has a sort of um almost like a black lizard really true noir clip to it that I thought well, was can,
1: just yeah it can lead off a cliff but the, th- the key is to like don't if you find yourself writing a certain way just to avoid making a decision that's right you know, that's when you get into trouble so
2: what if you write period to avoid making a decision <laughs> well that's
1: that's called a, that's called a career <laughs>
2: <laughs> and what if you have a career to... <laughs> all right i'm gonna i have so many questions but i also feel like i want to let other people um you know chime in and i think i'm going to you know and again um you can just tell me your mother's maiden name at some point. Just email it to me along with your bank account information. That would be
1: absolutely. And so that would be great. My first um, pet, right? Yeah. yeah. Your name of
2: your person. I always get paralyzed when they're like, who's your best friend? And I'm like, oh, oh, <laughs>
0: <Yeah. so>
2: depressing. <laughs> um, all right. I'm going to look at some of these questions in the chat and see. Oh, I don't see any questions in the chat. Am I doing it wrong?
1: they will tell anybody. Me. Have a question? Oh, here we
2: go. Oh, they're being released. Into the wild. Okay, so questions. Yeah, release the the kraken. All right. um, Okay, I'm just gonna read this this first one to you. And this is actually also funny because uh, I always think with Zoom events, the one really big advantage they have on in-person events is that no one's afraid to ask the first question. But it's incredibly not true. (laughs) So, but I'm so I'm very grateful to Ryan Chapman. So he writes. The novel, while also making the best holiday gift for the reader in one's life, has perhaps the best description of a rock performance in a contemporary novel. I would agree with that. I wonder how you approached it. Was it challenging or different to write about music?
1: Well, um, not to embarrass Ryan, but I am an admirer of Ryan Chapman's writing. So <laughs> I I'm, thank you for that. Uh, I, uh, I I guess I that when you asked before about if there were things that I deleted, there weren't things I deleted, but but that those sections describing the the show, um, I think, and describing the band playing, I think I revised a lot. I worked a lot on those those descriptions and I wanted to be, you know, lyrical and precise and and funny in just the right way. And and it took a it took a a long time, but um, I was really also, yes, it was hard because I was trying to translate uh some deep emotional uh memories i had of of being on stage or being with a band and that feeling that you're like creating something that's you know it might sound like a ridiculous noisy racket to to others but feels like power like a powerful authentic sonic expression and and how uh glorious that is and i want and i wanted to get that on the page somehow so if i succeeded at all that's that's great
2: yeah. And you're also, I think, obviously, as we said, uniquely qualified to do it. Um, I have sort of a follow up question, which is that um, maybe the years have made this easier. But um, I wonder if you could go back and tell your past self who, you know, at one point, Jack describes himself as a human sidecar, which I thought was such an amazing, um, you know, it, it felt like just a quick flick, but uh, quite, quite sort of um, pointed Uh a human sidecar to Earl, the the you know the vanished missing vanished right. Earl. Um, can you imagine telling you, who used to be the lead singer of your group, um, that you were going to sort of be on the side of the guitarist?
1: Well, it's it's interesting because I'm in you know, a back seat. There was a there was interesting tension. I mean, not now we don't have to delve into this, but there was interesting <laughs> tension in the band. But also something I kind of that was beautiful to me was that you couldn't really hear my lyrics because the it was so loud and the guitarist was always turning up and drowning me out. And in a way I was, you know, in flight from my writing self. So I kind of liked that the guitar was drowning me out, but it was also this kind of fierce competition, you know, between the yeah. players at times. And so, and, and, and one might feel, and also that sidecar description had to do with how the narrator feels in relation to the a, a friend who's very beautiful and so it's also mm-hmm. it's also about like what it's like to to how to be so proud to have a someone who likes you who is so beautiful but also to feel like you're an appendage to them in a way when you walk down the street
2: right and to feel like you are sort of like a uh, you know In terms of their stride, you know, they're like a golden retriever, and you're like a wiener dog. You're like,
1: yeah, exactly. I'm working
2: so hard to get to the same speed. (laughs) Like, hey, buddy. Good way to put it. Yeah. (laughs) Did you feel? And then I, oh, there's another question, but um, just very quickly, you talk about Nirvana breaking the indie piggy piggy bank open, and I know that this is not a nonfiction book. We had discussed, uh, you know, before this began. Meet me in the bathroom earlier. Um. But did you, I feel like that's such a pulse that's not entirely spoken for all the competition and the dismissal of each other's bands. It's like very late where you're like, oh, and that person also got a record deal. That seems to be sort of, it sits on the surface of the novel in this really pleasant way where there's like a sort of a dome of what could happen.
1: Yeah.
2: Um, Where like his dream, his immediate dream is like, dear God, someone get me to Europe. Someone get me to Barcelona. But like, really, I wonder if that has its roots partially in what happened after like the Seattle rock scene.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, this is happening in the wake of, of Nirvana. And so there is this, they're they're vying for, you know, there's a feeding frenzy from the major labels to find the next one. You know, they've picked through Seattle, they're picking through New York and other cities and, um, and our hero, you know, he, you know, I think that he's torn because on the one hand he's, he's sickened by, you know, the, the, corporate sellouts that, uh, you know, he sees around him, the other bands, but I think secretly he wouldn't mind a big record contract and it's, you know, but he also knows his band doesn't play that kind of music. And so he kind of has to dig his heels in about like how he's pure and the others are, you know, hacks and there's, there's, it's all, you know, uh, it's all in the swirl.
2: Well, yeah, like sellouts by virtue of being sold.
1: Right, exactly. <laughs> <like> Some, buy- <laughs> by virtue of someone wanting to buy them, yeah, That's yeah, exactly. But uh, but also he does feel that you know he says about the band his this rival band that does get a record deal. You know he detests them, but also you know se- semi admires them as well. On right. Someone. Yeah. Right.
2: That they but figured out how to sort of put the medicine in peanut butter or applesauce yeah. and feed it to the record executive. Yeah. <laughs> um, so okay, I'm going to ask another question um, from. Um, David Nutt, don't, I, don't, I don't know if it's going to make people, if it's going to deter people from asking if I say their names, but it's a great name. So David um, asks. Uh, another, Jaffney, good,
1: another good novelist, David Nutt, but they're all, they're good all out tonight.
2: <laughs> another good novelist and also someone who could uh, just slip seamlessly in this exact novel, which you should yeah. buy. Um, okay, so do you have any, uh, this is a great question. Do you have any favorite rock and roll novels, anything you had in mind while you were working on No One Left?
1: Um, <laughs> no, I mean, the only, the only one that I was really thinking of, actually, and you alluded to this before, probably has more to do with the speech in the middle, but it was Great Jones Street by Don DeLillo. Okay.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: but um uh i think certain maybe some non-fiction about but i don't even know yeah there no novel springs to mind
2: no specific novel yeah i feel like infamously and part of and i know again you're you're right in front of me um and i also just you know finished the book so i'm so high on it but like i really genuinely feel like you might have cracked a, a real code here where uh I mean, we all saw vinyl on HBO and then had to, you know, wash our eyes out. And I just feel like <laughs> all due respect to the writers and everyone involved. Um, but I just feel like uh, creating, um, whether it's for TV um, or scripted, I mean, like, with the exception of like Almost Famous, is just the difficulty of um, creating a sort of young or behind the scenes rock novel, uh, movie, uh, play, anything. Um, it's It's always this weird, very difficult um, sort of bridge to cross. And I think you did it really, uh, really beautifully here. Um, Thank so. you. Um, okay, do you wanna do a couple more questions and then we can sure. do something like we can, I don't know what we can we can sing. Sam will sing for you. <laughs>
1: I never sang I screamed I will scream
2: (laughs) I have a somewhere in here I actually have a proper um you know from the pandemic and finally cluing into the fact that I don't have great audio I have a proper mic oh you you, have one yeah Like you put your whole face around this thing yeah well I
1: used to I used to put the mic completely into my mouth Yeah.
2: yeah 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 Yeah, So that's a COVID friendly activity that we can. Yeah, all do. no,
1: I mean, <laughs> the, the, the people who worked at the clubs did not like that very much. Yeah. I don't blame them. I feel bad about it now.
2: Um, okay, let's see if there's, I'm going to let people like, well, I like, I'm going to go through these one more time, and then I'll let, uh, see if anyone pops up with a question because mine are just through the prism of my own curiosity, which is exciting for me personally. Aha. Oh boy. <laughs> okay so bill shapiro asks can you share some lyrics from your band do you remember
1: well there was a song that i that i was more of a kind of spoken word but uh i can share some of the lyrics so that it was a song called blowhole and uh it would begin with me often with the mic pretty stuck in far screaming really loud
0: ah, ah!
1: like that sorry and uh <laughs> Then there would be a musical interlude um, uh, of of uh, bass and drums and guitar for a while. And then it would die down. And then I would say, I would uh, look out in the audience and say, and I, I would scream this, but I'm not going to scream again because I think that was probably unfair. Uh, I would <laughs> say <laughs> the lyrics were, I once believed in the precepts of secular humanism, Jack. I believed that facts were lies, and that's a fact, and that's a lie. I believed television, watched back. But I found a new way to be free, motherfuckers. I just paddle out as far from shore as my arms will take me, edge my board up to the dolphin just as he begins to surface, and stick the business end of my 30-06 right into his blowhole. It's just that easy. And then the band would come roaring back. Yes. <laughs> <blowhole>. <laughs> I can feel it. <laughs> I really
0: you're,
2: like
1: genuinely- you're welcome, Bill.
2: Yeah, Bill, 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 I feel like I just I didn't have the, the guts <laughs> to ask him that. Um that's amazing. Okay. I'm gonna ask one more uh one more question that's here. Um, although it's hard to, it's hard to follow up with that. And I'd be like, mm, yes, the blowhole. Now, when do you get well, up? How from- was
1: first person for you? Yeah,
2: exactly. <laughs> <laughs> is the present tense a just blow naturally? Through- okay, okay. Um, so uh, this is a slightly more traditional question, uh, but you know what? It could have the same response. Um, was there some writer who you read before you began writing who you read? Uh, who motivated you to be a writer? So I know you were like a a, a Gordon Lish, a student of Gordon Lish. Um, I wonder if that's maybe part of what he's asking. I don't know. Or write? I guess writers that influenced you to become a writer.
1: Oh, is that in the chat? That question? Or is yeah, that your question. That's <laughs> not my question. That uh, is a
2: borrowed but timeless, a timeless question that is not mine.
1: I mean, I I mean, I read a lot of things that you know. I wrote in high school and in college, but I think two writers that I were I was given books by, by professors in college that sort of galvanized me in different ways, but important ways, um, were uh, Stanley Elkin and, and One You Named, Barry Hanna. And I read Airships by Barry Hannah, and I read a couple of novels by Stanley Elkin, including The Living End, and they were very different from each other, but both sort of, engaged with language and a kind of antic energy and uh, and a way of being on the page of getting life on the page that just excited me and made me want to do it and there are many other writers who did that as well but those are two
2: did you um were you a Vonnegut person are you a Vonnegut person
1: I like Vonnegut a lot but not he he didn't like you wouldn't self-identify he, he didn't flip my switch that way
2: yeah yeah I feel that way my version of that is um and It's like sacrilege to say so given what I primarily write, you know, narrative nonfiction is to is to be like, I I very much like Joan Didion. <laughs> but like mm-hmm. it's not I didn't I came to it late. It's not the thing that that really sort of galvanized me, I suppose. But um anyway, all right. Uh I just want to say thank you so much, Sam. This book is fantastic. It is um uh, brutally Uh, caustically painfully funny and I just absolutely loved it and even like structurally you even read you read a little bit that I when you talk about you know Hera being Earl's ex and the band's ex that is not you know like it's it's uh not uh the SAT words are not being flung around in that case it's just the structure of this entire book from like ground up is so perfect and um congratulations on it really happy to do that thank you Thank talking. you everybody for coming. And there's a link. What does the link say? That's to buy books. To
0: buy? <laughs> <laughs> hey, great. What a hoot. Thank you, Bo. That was so much fun. Sam, congratulations. And it's great to have you. you in our orbit once again. Sloan Crossley, you are the consummate. Pro at this interviewing thing. And thank you. Thank for you. Doing the honors. Easy. Easy. Uh, as mentioned earlier, the only regret is, of course, that we can't all go out to drinks over at Vesuvios or Tosca or one of those kind of evil triangle of drinking holes. The <laughs> but a rain check goes out to the both of you, and and maybe even some of you in the audience if you're ever in San Francisco. So uh thank you all for joining us tonight. As I mentioned, we have posted links in the chat function of your Zoom dashboard with which you may purchase books. Or better yet, if you're in the hood, come on down, browse our stacks. We're open seven days a week from 12 noon until 8 p.m. Monday through Thursday. And now we have expanded hours on weekends, 11 to 9, Friday through Sunday. So we're coming back to pre-pandemic hours. Come on down and visit Uh, Tonight's event has been made possible by the City Lights Foundation, keeping me employed and continuing the legacy of our founder, the late Lawrence Ferlinghetti, through public events like this one, a publishing program, and educational outreach, all dedicated to sustaining a vibrant community of readers, writers, and independent thinkers. So be safe, be well, everyone. Best for the season to you all, and hope to see you again soon. Thank Thank you.
2: Thanks so much for having us.